wonderful friends, welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. It's really wonderful to be able to share with you once again. Uh, this week we're taking as our theme, uh, Did Our Good God Create Hell? Uh, today we're asking, Does Hell Burn Forever? Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher and David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. David, welcome aboard. Hey, how are you, Gary? It is wonderful to have you back with us again. Uh, you've been a busy boy this week, I understand. Yeah, I have. Um, but it's coming to, what, it's hump day, isn't it? Wednesday they call that at lunchtime, middle of the week. Hump day. You, you said, told me that you've done, what, 60 or 70 hours already this week. Yeah, we shouldn't talk about it though, should we? So yeah, look, it's been a full-on week so far, but it will get a little bit lighter as the, the week draws to a close. Well, David, really appreciate you making the time to be able to come in here to the studio because I recognise that this is just one hour, but there's preparation time that's involved with it and uh, it does take just that extra, extra hour. So I really appreciate uh, you being able to come in uh, today. Now, uh, look, uh, tell us something. Uh, winter, is there anything you do in particular? Rug up. <laughs> yeah, no, look, winter, um, really love sitting by a fire. Now, we don't have a wood fire in the house we're living in. We've, we have had previously. But, yeah, going out to cafes when available, like on a Sunday or something, um, having lunch with the family. Yeah, um, yeah. We also like going up to a national park, um, yeah. a state park, where we, in when you can and... and have a fire. Have you got a particular one that you enjoy? Yeah, so just north of Adelaide, a place called Mount Crawford. Um, yeah. So sometimes on a, on a late Saturday afternoon or something to go up there with uh, have a little fire there and in the fireplaces and cook some damper and, and things like that and just yeah. sit around a fire with the kids. It's really, really nice. Mount Crawford, lovely. I've, I've had many a, a Pathfinder camp up there, actually, a rocky paddock. In fact, every now and then I do a, a, a retreat myself. I'll go away just for a day. And one of the places I really enjoy going to is actually Rocky Paddock up in the Mount Crawford uh, National Park because uh, to me it's so remote, uh, it's quiet, it's peaceful uh, and incredibly uh, pristine and uh, really love it up that part of the world and I love, I really enjoy being able to take a day off. I try to do that uh, probably uh, every two or three months just to escape myself and just clear my head. It, absolutely, just to and connect with God, to be out in nature to unclutter the mind, so to speak, eh? It's really important, really important. Now, look, tell me something. Yesterday, uh, myself and Eric were actually chatting uh, about the need to teach children at an early age about God and faith. And uh, one of the things we started talking about was the, the whole subject of, uh, uh, of uh, family worship, having worship at home. Now, I'm really interested... Is family worship something that you practice? Absolutely, because you can't rely on a Christian school, as good as they may be, or a church, and the involvement that a family may have. Uh, spirituality begins in the home. And so in our family, um, typically in a morning, we'd be reading like a devotional reading. Mm -hmm. It might be a nature reading with a spiritual thought or some other little short reading. We spend a little bit of time in prayer plus individual worship. 
which we encourage our children to do. And in the evenings, with a little bit more time, um, we've done a number of things. Often we've read um, sort of uh, stories of great people in the past that were Christians mm. and, and what they went through. Um, uh, other, other books of biographies of Christian people. Uh, what we're currently doing at the moment, actually, one of the things we're doing is uh, listening to Scripture. So we're currently going through the Gospel of Mark as a family. Wow. And, and I just say to the, the children and the family, hey, let's shut our eyes, let's listen, and take in what you, people would have heard as it was being read to them at the time. Okay. Uh, the other thing we do is really give thanks and gratitude to God for something every day that we're thankful for. Now, just quickly, Gary, one of the things on this tonight, um, you know, I dropped the children off home before I came back, and um, my son was talking to me about, you know, at school they're looking at politics and this sort of thing and whole thing of euthanasia and, and mm. right to life, pro-life and all this and, and, and uh, the choice to you know, uh, uh, have an abortion, etc. all the stuff that's in the current media yeah, yeah, debates. Yeah. And my son said to me, he said, but Dad, with a biblical worldview, and I'm thinking, you know, he, he's 14 and a half, he said, well, you know, you just can't see it this way. And so I was really impressed with my son Emerson, just listening to him um, process and verbalise why he wouldn't um, agree with certain uh, public policies because of what he said, not me, his biblical worldview. And and that is so important, actually, because it's having that biblical worldview is absolutely key. And it's actually those discussions that you have with your children, often one-on-one, that is the thing which actually brings into the heart and mind what is involved with a biblical worldview. And so he said, if, if I if I agreed with this, Dad, he said, well, then I would uh, basically, how could I, you know, hold the Christian view? He said, I'd be like someone that's not a Christian, and then I would support the opposite view. So, yeah, it was really um, affirming for me as a parent to, to hear my son spontaneously share this yeah, information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I really appreciate what you're actually uh, sharing there, David. You know, that is just so, so key. And we understand why there is so much public policy being presented that is anti-Christian when people don't have a Christian or a biblical, I call it a biblical worldview, not a Christian world Absolutely. worldview, because I think there's a clear distinction these days between the two. In fact, that brings me to... Uh, uh, our next segment, which is our World Watch uh, segment. And I'd love to get your opinion on this particular uh, subject. And uh, once again, this is uh, concerns the Albany Baptist Church in Western Australia. And hello to all our good friends in uh, in West Oz. Uh, now, uh, this was reported on the ABC uh, news site, and the title was Albany Baptist Church Pushes Ahead with Gay Conversion Therapy Event uh, Despite Backlash from the LGBT Community. And this is what the ABC Reported, and I'm just simply reading what was on their their website. A church on Western Australia South Coast is pushing ahead with an event labelled Gay Conversion Therapy. Now, I'm interested in that particular uh, label uh, by the LGBTQ community. The uh, Albany Baptist Church is hosting Real Lives, uh, an event this Thursday where attendees can hear stories of hope and vision and dignity beyond. LGBTQ ideologies. It features speakers who have previously lived or identified as LGBTQ and are now finding a new life in Jesus Christ. Advocacy group 
Albany Pride has described the event as homophobic, but Albany uh, Baptist Church senior pastor Phil Beck uh, insisted it was not a conversion therapy. He said this, I actually don't know anyone who's had gay conversion therapy, never heard of a church who does it, so I'm actually not sure actually what it looks like or what it would look like uh, if it came to a church, but it's certainly not this. The event is uh, reportedly a giving uh, being delivered by True Identity International, a network that claims to support people struggling with sexuality and gender identity issues. Albany Pride Committee, now this is where I'd be interested in your feedback, David. Albany Pride Committee member uh, said the uh, group uh, did not accept, their group did not accept the claim that the event was not gay conversion therapy. The conversion therapy is only the tip of the iceberg Behind it, there is effectively homophobia, he said. And then this is the statement that he made that to me really jumped out at me. You are telling a young person that the way that you are is not right and that you must change it. We all know there is nothing wrong with being gay, but this is the agenda being pushed by those promoting these events. Now, this, of course, is the is the Baptist Church, and I actually support what the Baptist Church is actually doing here. I don't have a problem with it. Uh, but the thing that really jumps out at me is that biblically, David, there's an, a theology, certainly that has come from uh, the Scriptures and has flowed through certainly every Christian church that I'm aware of, about this thing called sin. And, of course, sin actually does exactly tell all of us that the way we are is not right and that we need a heart conversion. Now, David, how would you respond to, you know, to this particular, to the comments of the LGBT activist in commenting um, uh, on the the activities of this uh, Baptist pastor. Yeah, thank you, Gary. Um, yeah, this is a really uh, hot button topic, isn't it? Um, uh, this year, particularly, and maybe even last year. And and look, I guess a couple of things. If I can back up, yeah, a yeah, little yeah, bit. sure. Um, I probably myself may not label a a program. Um, uh, with the titles of conversion therapy, simply because everything that surrounds that and, and how it's viewed and, 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 you know, why create controversy for controversy's sake. However, um, as you've read, this particular event features speakers who have previously lived or identified as LGBTQ+, but who are now finding a new life in Jesus Christ. So do we believe, whether it's over this issue or alcoholism or or um, adulterers or you name it, do we believe that God can change lives? Do we believe that the Holy Spirit is is is, is a power that can transform? The Bible says yes. So if we believe that, then is there anything wrong if it's a genuine conversion and it's not, you know... <clears throat> You know, if if it's done through the power of the Holy Spirit and someone comes to the Lord, this is a testimony of what God's done in someone's life. And what you would normally expect to see is actually change within that individual's life. Whether it's over this issue or whether it's, as we've said, if it's a drug addict or or whatever, um, 
Jesus calls sinners to repentance. Uh, Luke 5.32, I have not come to call the righteous, but guess what? Sinners to repentance. So repentance uh, is this Greek word, metanoio, which, which it simply means a turning away from sin and a turning back to God. In other words, there's a yeah. transformation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Regardless of the issue, and at the moment it's this uh, in question here, this LGBTQ plus with some uh, people talking about how their lives have been transformed, a testimony. Yeah, yeah. Um, whether it's this or other topics, the Holy Spirit changes life. Sin is sin. Sin will lead to death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think, David, you bring out a really good point there because, you know, I don't know how many times in my church I've actually had people stand up and say, you know, I can well remember a, a guy who was actually addicted to drugs. And uh, I remember him sharing with me. He shared with the entire church, and he said, uh, "Pastor, he said it was it was actually through the power of prayer that significant change has happened in my life. I actually look lost the desire uh, to have." And he was into into dope in in that in, mm. that, in that particular occasion. He said, "I lost the desire uh, for uh, that particular issue." And to me, to actually share that with the church, you know, there is a power. God here that uh, to me the the challenge of course is that there are men in our community who don't understand the power of God. That's right and and Christians with a living relationship with Christ will realise that we don't serve uh, some ritualistic uh, dead lifeless forms uh, Jesus is alive the Holy Spirit is in us and in, in John 16 verses uh, Eight and nine, it's Jesus telling his followers, and when he, this is the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness, and guess what? And of judgment. Yeah. Of yeah. sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of the world is judged. So Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit uh, will be poured out to convict people of sin. So what's the next thing that uh, activists will kick up about because it pricks the conscience, it makes people feel bad, uh, there is no wrong, there is no sin. Sin is is is... We're all, um, by nature, we are sinners. Jesus comes yeah. to transform us. Yeah. That's a lifelong process. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, that is something that has been presented, and not just by the, it's certainly been presented by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. It's certainly been presented by biblical Christians. But, you know, this theology of sin is something that traditionally has actually been presented and taught and believed by certainly every church that I'm aware of, every Christian church that I am certainly aware of. This has been heart and core of their theology. It was the heart and core of salvation because, in fact, if in the, if there is no sin, there's no need for a saviour. That's 100% correct. So what's next, Gary? Is next the suppression of Christians saying what sin is? Are we not allowed to talk about being a, a guilt? Are we not allowed to talk about evil and wickedness because it will upset and, and discourage and hurt people? That's a, uh, that's a powerful question. That's a, and that, that's a powerful question and actually so relevant to the age in which we are living today. So who is trying to suppress who? Yeah. Uh, Luke twelve fifty one. Jesus says, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. So uh, Jesus doesn't come to cause conflict, but mm. the word of God, when it is shared, and it should be done in a loving way, we should look to build bridges where we can build bridges, not divide. However, the word of God does divide because it convicts people yeah. and they want to change their lives and that can cause divisions in, in, in family units or whatever it may be. 
In other words, the word of God is quick and powerful, as uh, as Paul uh, says in in another place, and he's able to touch the heart and the mind. And uh, you know, when uh, uh, when this particular um, uh, man uh, says, uh, "You are telling a young person that the way that you are is not right; you must change it." You know, my response would be, "The word of God actually tells me; it tells everyone that the way we are." in this world at this time is not right. The word of God cannot be suppressed by anyone, activists, government, or anyone. However, we are told in Scripture to speak the truth in love. Jesus died for every human being. Jesus loves every human being, regardless of who, what they've done, or anything. But he calls all of us. No one's excluded. No one's immune. to repentance. Yeah, yeah. And that is the heart and core of so much uh, that is being debated today. Does sin, does it really exist? This is a suppression of Christianity. Let's come to some music. This is uh, Carly Fletcher. Teach us to number our days. No 
That was Carly Fletcher. Teach us to number our days. There's a message in there somewhere. Our uh, free gift for you today is uh, a little book. Uh, the book's entitled Judgment and Hell, God May Be Kinder Than You Think. And uh, uh, this is written by Jim Eyre. And uh, it uh, it talks in down-to-earth language. It's skillful. It's a pragmatic Bible study. He shares the light of the Bible truth to reveal a God who always acts with justice, mercy, and most importantly, with love and fairness. So much of what we've actually been discussing over these uh, these past few days is summed up in this particular book. Look, if you'd like to have what we've been sharing summed up just in one very short, this isn't a big book, this is just a very short book. Uh, it's entitled Judgment and Hell, God May Be Kinder Than You Think. If you'd like this particular book, uh, then please send just your name, your address, your telephone number and uh, text that uh, with uh, the name of this book, Judgment and Hell and uh, text that through to our drive time text number which is 0488 880 that number again is 0488 880811 and the book you're requesting is um, a judgment and hell god may be kinder than you think but just uh, put down book on hell and uh, we'll understand which one you're uh, uh, you're requesting that's a really beaut uh, little book that uh, really sums up everything that we've been talking about uh, this week uh, you're listening to faith fm drive time big q a with uh, pastor gary uh, today our co-host is pastor david butcher and david is president of the seventh day venice church here in south oz this week we are taking as our theme did a good god really create hell and today we're asking does hell burn forever? It was uh, just a little while ago. In fact, it was uh, two or three years back. I first uh, became aware of a discussion uh, in the uh, in the Roman Catholic uh, Church. Uh, some of the conservative members of that particular church were asking a question: Does Pope Francis believe? That hell exists. Now, I sort of thought, well, this is rather obvious. I mean, uh, is the Pope Catholic? Uh, this is a, a fairly obvious answer, but apparently not. Apparently, he'd actually made some comments uh, to a newspaper. Uh, and in fact, he'd had an interview, a conversation between Pope Francis and Eugenio Scafali. Scafali has become a favorite interviewer of Pope Francis. Uh, he's the atheist founder of the Italian newspaper, La Repubblica, uh, known for its un, and he is known for his unconventional method of reconstructing interviews from memory rather than using direct quotations. And now, uh, his, uh, his recounting he uh, has had uh, up to five interviews, I believe, with Pope Francis. Pope Francis is quite happy to give him interviews. And uh, Scafali's recounting of the Pope's more controversial words have often been dismissed, uh, our article says, by members of the Catholic press as unreliable. And, of course, coming from memory, that would, would actually be the case. Uh, but the Pope has actually given uh, this particular editor uh, five interviews and then he has written uh, the responses to 
uh, to questions that he put to Pope Francis, but he's done it from from memory. And uh, this is um, uh, in his reflections on his one of his more recent uh, interviews. Uh, he questioned Pope Francis concerning the subject of hell, and uh, this is what he maintains. Pope Francis said, "All souls." Uh, are endowed with grace, and so they are born perfectly innocent and remain so unless they take the path of evil. If they are aware of it and they do not repent, even at the moment of death, they are condemned. Pope Francis, I repeat, has has abolished the places of eternal dwelling in the afterlife of souls. The thesis held by him according to uh, this uh, this editor, is that souls dominated by evil and not repentant cease to exist, while those who are redeemed from evil will be assumed into contemplating God. This is the thesis of Pope Francis, according uh, to uh, to this uh, this particular editor who interviewed Pope Francis uh, back in 2017. Now, of course, the Vatican did respond and say that you know the accuracy of the words can't be can't be trusted, and uh, and therefore the interview can't be trusted. But uh, this uh, particular website does point out that at no point has Pope Francis actually denied uh, what was written in the article. So the debate does actually go on uh, between uh, did he or did he not say uh, what uh, this editor purports that Pope Francis did actually say. It does raise an incredibly interesting question, however, and that's this issue of hell. Increasingly, churches are wanting to distance themselves from this particular belief in an eternally burning hell. This is an unpopular belief. But to me, David, you know, I think the more important question is, is this a Biblical belief. You know, it might be unpopular, and that is one consideration, but to me the really important issue here is, is this a biblical teaching? You know, are people going to... Does the Bible teach that people are going to burn forever and ever and ever? I mean, there are certainly portions of the Scriptures that certainly appear to indicate that. There are. So to answer your first question, Gary, um, does the Bible teach that uh, sin and sinners will go on forever or eternal burning hell forever and ever and ever. Uh, Look, there are a number of, uh, with Scripture, um, the best way to interpret it is not base a theology or a teaching on one text or a phrase or a sentence. The the way we interpret Scripture is to look at what the breadth of the Word of God says on a particular topic. It's interesting that Psalm 37 verses 9 and 10 says, for evildoers shall be cut off. That seems to suggest an end, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, verse 10 of Psalm 37 says, and the wicked shall be no more. Okay, cease to exist, cease it would to appear. Exist. It would appear. Cease to, and then in Psalm 37 verse 20, but the wicked shall perish. What does perish mean? It means come to an end, cease to exist. And it's, it likens, it then says, And the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish into smoke, shall they vanish away. In other words, uh, the wicked will be like smoke that, that disappear. They will perish. 
that's that's actually a really important aspect. And so what you're doing is you're bringing in th- uh, uh, an understanding of what happens uh, after judgment, I, I suppose, um, without an eternally burning hell. Uh, well, well, look, um, what's the most famous, most well-known verse of Scripture? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So there are two options. There is perish or have everlasting life, life unending. Now, mm. if perish does not mean what it says... If perish does not mean that you cease to exist, but you continue to exist in another form, in another form, then what Jesus is saying, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will live forever, and those who don't believe in him will also live forever in another form. That's not what he's saying. Perish means a cessation of life. Well, if you have an article of clothing or something, a, a rubber tire or something, once it perishes, it, it, it's useless. It, yeah. it ceases to exist. Malachi chapter 4 verse 3 uh, paints the picture like this. You shall trample the wicked for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I, I do this, says the Lord of hosts. So the wicked are likened to being like ashes. Wow, wow. So, so in other words, yesterday, remember the thing which we, we looked at Christ when he was on earth, and Christ certainly told a multitude of parables about the fact that when he comes again, there would actually be a thing called the judgment. Yes. And at that time, there was going to be a separation of good from evil, and then there would be a fire, but that ultimately, from the teaching of Christ, the fire itself would actually go out. Absolutely, and I guess some of those things we've just looked at, ashes, um, we also read through the Old Testament that the wicked will be like stubble under feet. Now, if there is uh, no end or no end to wickedness, if the wicked are not ultimately just are destroyed, then what about the author of Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says that um, what does God plan to do to Satan? It says that he will destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. God is coming back to destroy Satan. Okay. And, of course, in one of his parables, Christ actually says uh, hell itself is actually or the the destruction at the end of time, which, of course, is what uh, Scripture is actually talking about, is actually being prepared for the devil and his angels. angels. So... Hell at the end of time is this place, uh, which is really, I believe, on the surface of the earth, that is being prepared for the devil and his angels. Uh, we read, as we've just read in Hebrews 2.14, that um, Satan will be destroyed. But David, so many people have this view that Satan is almost an accomplice of God and that hell is actually being stoked by this little red creature with uh, with horns and a pitchfork and uh, you know it's being prepared for the for humans. And I want to suggest that this comes from Satan. He's the great deceiver, isn't he? Um, like he did through the, through the serpent in the Garden of Eden. He deceived our first parents, Adam and Eve. And he's doing it now by painting a distorted picture yeah. of God, a, yeah. a drastically distorted picture. I remember, Gary, in, in 2011, I went through Europe uh, looking at church history. And I remember going through, oh, it could be 50-odd cathedrals through Italy and Switzerland and, and France and and um, Czechoslovakia and Germany and England. And particularly in Italy, I remember looking up into some of these massive cathedrals and looking at the ceilings, you know, 
They're huge, aren't huge. they? Huge. They're absolutely huge. And yeah. on a number of these ceilings were painted these incredible paintings. I say incredible from size of of torture. And, and I see you've got an article on your desk there, Gary. Our listeners can't see it. But that's some of the pictures I've taken of naked bodies writhing in ovens in it's hell. It's ghoulish stuff, isn't it? It's absolutely ghoulish. So this is what the church has taught, that, that there is a place now where the wicked go. When you die, if you're wicked, you... You, you know, you, 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 you go to hell or you have a soul or a spirit that goes to hell that will never die. And because it will never die, you've got to keep the punishment going unending. And, of course, the reason this was perpetrated is because there was actually a desire to, if you frighten people enough, uh, they would actually decide to, uh, to want to follow the way that the church was actually teaching. And we know that even in the 1700s, 1800s, you know, people like Jonathan Edwards, um, this great American preacher, he was a great preacher, but he preached visual pictures and imagery of little babies burning in ovens and writhing And if you weren't pain. frightened and afraid by the time he'd finished describing what, because I have actually read uh, what it was he, he did actually preach, and if uh, if you weren't afraid, then I really feel sorry for you because it was fearsome stuff. So let me say this. If in Hebrews 2.14, God through the, the author in Hebrews is saying that he is coming to destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Yep. So if the devil's going to be destroyed, and in Revelation 2 verse 10, we are told that the devil was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. If the devil's going to be destroyed, and I want to suggest that the lake of fire is actually the hell fires. Exactly, okay? exactly. I, I, and I think that as we come into the book of Revelation, I think that that is one of the things that as, I, as I've looked at it, as I study this, I say, hey, look, you know, this paints a totally different picture of God. If, in fact, we've got a God who wants to destroy sin, not perpetuate sin. Absolutely. So if Satan is going to be destroyed, if the devil's going to be destroyed, why would God, why would a loving God allow human beings who have been deceived by Satan, who, who was already being destroyed, yeah. uh, you know, when this happens, why would he allow them to exist forever? The human it beings. It makes no sense, does it? No. But David, look, now, can we come possibly, there are nonetheless a number of passages of scripture that talk about burning forever and ever. Can you help us out with some of these? Yeah, look, there are. Um, uh, maybe first of all, uh, yeah, let, look, let's look at some. Uh, Matthew 25, verse 46, Gary. Matthew okay. 25, and we'll turn there. Okay, and uh, this is, of course, a really important uh, passage because it comes straight after uh, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24 was when uh, Christ was talking about the signs of his, his coming. Matthew chapter 25, we've got Christ talking about uh, the uh, the time when he does actually come and he tells a number of parables uh, to uh, to that effect. So, uh, David, share with us. Yeah, so here we have Matthew 25, 46. Um, basically, Jesus says, and these, this is uh, talking about the wicked, those who haven't chosen a relationship with him. It says, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So here we find this wording of the wicked going away into everlasting punishment. Now, what we need to know here is that um, it doesn't say everlasting, it doesn't say Everlasting punishing. It doesn't say everlasting punishing, but everlasting punishment. punishment. In other words, the consequence is everlasting for their wickedness. Okay. They will cease to exist, yep. but yep. they are not enduring everlasting punishment. Well, the punishment itself is that they, in fact have been wiped out. They cease to exist. They have uh, returned to the earth 
from what God originally created them. That's right, because God tells us in Scripture that sin and sinners will ultimately be no more. And they will not rise up a second time. That's right, in the book of Nahum. So there are a number of places in Scripture where we get this concept, and there are a few verses through Scripture that talk about everlasting punishment or everlasting smoke, etc., that is going up to heaven, ascending into heaven. Um, There are a number of cases where we come across the word forever, and everlasting and forever often have a duration context. Uh, for instance, in Exodus chapter 21, when a, a person has a servant and they've served a period of time and the servant can go free, the servant may choose to remain with the master. They may be happy to remain with the master. And it says there was a process to occur when the servant wanted to remain with the master. Exodus 21.6. Then his master shall bring him, that's a servant, to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce the servant's ear with an awl, with, with mm-hmm. a, like an, an, a, a nail punch, mm-hmm. if you like. And he shall serve him forever. So the servant who wants to remain with his master once he can go free... If he chooses to remain with his master, there is a designation. He's taken uh, to to um, a doorpost after he's been to the judges, the leaders of the town, to where he can yeah, say, I yeah, want to serve my yeah. master. And then he's basically given a piercing in his ear. An ear piercing. And yep. it says that is a symbol that he will serve his master forever. Now, tell me, how long would a servant or a slave live? For the duration of his life. Duration of his life. So the word forever means the duration of his life. When we go to the book of Samuel, the Old Testament book, we have this story of, of Hannah, uh, this lady who, who who desperately would love to have children. Mm. And she goes to the temple and she prays to the Lord. And um, basically God blesses her and she has a child with her husband. And um, when her husband next goes to Jerusalem to the temple, uh, she doesn't go to the temple because she's got this baby. And it says in First Samuel 1 verse 22, it says, But Hannah did not go up to the temple, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So what Hannah is saying is, no, I'm not going to take this young little baby, this little boy up to the temple yet. He's too young. Um, you know, I'm feeding him, breastfeeding him. He's growing. But when he is ready, I will take him there and he will remain at the temple. And we know that Samuel lived with Eli the priest. Yeah. And she says in First Samuel 1.22, he will remain there forever. In other words, this little phrase, forever and ever actually means it actually is a duration it's for as long as that thing might exist a fire might burn forever but it's for as long as that fire actually has something to burn fires ultimately go out don't fires go out and and in this story of uh, hannah and samuel you know verse 22 she says that he may serve the lord and remain there forever in verse 28 so six verses later it says therefore this is hannah speaking i also have lent him to the lord as long as he lives he shall be lent to the lord so they worship the lord there so she says that he will remain there forever then in six verses later she says i've lent him to the lord for as long as he lives so forever is a duration of his life. In other words, Scripture here is actually interpreting itself. And to me, this is the thing that is so important to actually understand what forever means in the context of 
the Word of God. Absolutely, 100%. Uh, so important. So, look, David, look, let's uh, just stop there. Let's come to some uh, uh, some music. Uh, love uh, this uh, this particular song. This is Michael W. Smith, Ancient Words, and indeed what we're speaking today is exactly that.
And that is Michael W. Smith, and uh, the uh, the hymn is Ancient uh, Ancient Words. Uh, love are the words of that particular song. So true, so real uh, for the world in which we're living today. Uh, now, once again, folks, that uh, that that book that we're offering today. This is our free offer to you today. Uh, this uh, this is just a little a uh, little book. Uh, it's entitled Judgment and Hell. God may be kinder than you think and uh, it's it's written in down-to-earth language it's woven into a pragmatic bible study jim Eyre shines the light of the bible truth to reveal a god who acts with justice mercy and most importantly absolute love and fairness you know i believe you'll greatly appreciate this particular book judgment and hell god may be fairer may be kinder than you can ever think now look if you'd like uh, that particular a book please send us your name and please your address please don't don't forget your address because uh, we do need to be able to get the uh, get the book to you your, your telephone number and uh, drive time uh, request to our request number is 0488 880811 that number again is 0488 880811 and I think you'll greatly appreciate summarises uh, everything that we're actually been sharing uh, this week. Uh, you're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary. Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher and David's the President of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. Uh, this week we're taking as our theme, did a good God really create a hell? And today we're asking uh, does hell Burn forever. David, really appreciate what it is you've been sharing so far. You've summed it up and brought it together. You know, what you've actually been sharing really does change the character of God. You know, if in fact, I've actually had, had people say to me, if in fact God burns people forever and ever and ever, he's really worse than Hitler. And he would be. Because Hitler, uh, well, let me put it this way, Gary. Um, my sister has had a had a dog put down recently. Um, favorite dog, eighteen years, a month off, eighteen yeah, years. Yeah. Uh, a, a Labradoodle. Now that was her everything. Uh, Shiloh is the name of the dog. That that was her everything. Shiloh was, but uh, and my sister spent lots of money on her and all sorts of things to keep her going. But it got to the point where my sister could see the pain and the discomfort that Shiloh the dog was in, yeah. and so ultimately she made the decision. As sad as it was. It broke her heart to have Shiloh put down because it was yeah, the best yeah, decision. Yeah. Now, if a vet can look at an animal and say this this animal needs to be put down because of the suffering, yeah. if that's what a vet can do, but but God decides, no, I love suffering. The wicked need to suffer f- enduring forever and ever and ever in eternal torment that never ends. Yeah. What sort of God is that? I don't want to serve him. And not only would I not want to serve him, but countless Christians by the thousands have left Christianity or not even come to it because of this false deceptive teaching that Satan has put out And that's there. what a lot of people actually do not realize. You know, particularly in the 18th and 19th century, there were so many people who actually abandoned Christianity because they could not accept that there was a God who would actually have uh, pleasure in torturing even little babies in uh, the fires of hell. Uh, and, of course, the problem was that, hey, that's what wasn't what the Scriptures were actually saying. And yet their churches and denominations still actually teach that, but their pulpits are quiet. We'll come back to that before yeah, yeah, we yeah, 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 yeah. So, Gary, let me just sort of um, hit on a few points first, and you might want to then throw something at me. The Bible clearly says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Yeah, yeah. 
what is death? And it, death we saw last week is defined as a cessation of life. It's not the continuation of life but in another form. It's simply the cessation of life. Full stop. Full stop. So the wages of sin is death. Now, do we really believe that? That's This is what Romans says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So death has to be death, yeah. not continuing in another uh, form that, that is never-ending. In 1 John five eleven and 12, it says, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God, guess what, does not have life. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's a black and white decision for yeah. people to make. It's either life eternal or death which will be eternal. And not eternal punishing, but mm-hmm. essentially a cessation of life. The wicked will be destroyed in fire. The purpose of fire is to burn and destroy, yeah. To, yeah. To, ex- to, to consume, yeah. not yeah. to preserve. I, I actually really appreciate the way that you know, Christ actually summed it up you know, after in, in Matthew chapter 25, which we've referred to before, verse 41. Uh, and he'll say unto those who are on the left hand, Depart from me, uh, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. God's desire is not willing that any should perish, all should come to repentance, but ultimately if people make a choice or a decision that say, no, look, I don't want that salvation, then he's then he's got no choice but to turn around and say, hey, look, uh, I have to commit you to the same fire that I've actually prepared for the devil. The devil here isn't the one stoking the fires of hell. Absolutely. The fires of hell, the end time fire, has actually been prepared for the devil. Will destroy him. And look, in, in Jude, which we believe is Jesus' brother, in the book of Jude, verse 7, there's only one chapter, Jude verse this 7. This is half-brother. Uh, yeah, half-brother. Yeah, Thank yeah, yeah. you. Um, it says... Uh, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these have given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange fle- flesh are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So here is the Bible, Jude, saying that uh, Sodom and Gomorrah have suffered the vengeance of eternal fire. Now there's the word eternal. Guess what? We know that, uh, you know, in that Middle East area, we, we roughly know around the, the Dead Sea. We know approximately where Sodom and Gomorrah exactly. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is no eternal fire. There is no eternal smoke ascending into heaven. Mm. Uh, we read in Genesis, we read that God destroyed these cities with fire and brimstone from heaven, but the fires are not burning now. Yeah. So when we come across in the terminology of, of people being destroyed, eternal or everlasting, it is in reference to the duration of a person's life or the duration of a fire that burns to destroy a city. Okay, and and once that city itself, Sodom and Gomorrah in that case, was destroyed, then the fire went out, even though Jude calls it the destruction of eternal fire. Now, David, that's look, David. I'm conscious our time is starting to run away from us just a, just a little bit here. You know, to me, there's a couple of things that really do actually jump out at me here, and that is that. Christ yesterday, we noticed, did actually teach there was going to be a thing called the judgment. The judgment's going to occur when he comes again. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Uh, you're going to find those who uh, have are on his left hand are going to be committed to flames prepared for the devil and his angels. But ultimately, according to the scriptures, the fire actually goes out. 
the people are destroyed. They return to the, to the dust from which they were originally created. There is no eternally burning hell. This is so important in our understanding of what the character of God is actually really like. But David, look, if I can just come back to this issue of judgment, if I possibly can. You know, in our religious world today, why do you think there's so little discussion in the religious world today about the reality of judgment? Because that's one of the things that certainly we looked at yesterday and we came up uh, with a conclusion that, goodness me, Christ continually talks about uh, the, the fact that there is going to be a day of judgment. You know, do you think churches are making a mistake in steering well clear of anything contentious? Yes, absolutely they are. And look, in, in John five twenty four, most assuredly, Jesus says, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. Okay. So there is a judgment coming. Uh, Jesus later in that chapter, uh, let me see, it's uh, verse 28 and 29. It says, um, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming which all who hear in the graves will hear, all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing as I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous. Jesus is talking about a judgment to come. Mm. Now, one of the reasons why modern Christianity is silent on this is partially because of their belief of an eternal burning uh, hell where the wicked are punished forever and ever. Their doctrines and, and their, their uh, teachings talk about it. Uh, many of their theologians, a number of the theologians of these top denominations no longer believe in eternal burning hell, but it's in the church's teaching. The preachers don't want to talk about it because it doesn't sit with society anymore. Yeah. But it's interesting to me, David, actually, I just from reading uh, in uh, in the Christian world, the number of scholars who are now coming to the exact conclusion as what we're presenting here today, they're simply starting to say, hey, look, you know, uh, within the scriptures, the evidence for an eternal eternally burning hell is simply not there. Absolutely. Gary, I just want to share that the Bible talks about these hellfires and everything as and the people that will experience them at the end of time, not now, there's no hell burning, as the second death. Jesus experienced on the cross for every believer the death that we don't have for to every man. He for actually, every man, every, every, woman, every woman, every person on the cross. He died for every person, but it is only valid for those who accept it and believe in him. Now, he experienced the second death on the cross. Mm. Those who believe in him don't have to experience it. We will all die once. In other words, right now we are just sleeping is how the scripture responds to it. When Christ comes again, there's going to be a resurrection, according to John chapter 5. There's going to be a resurrection, but there's also going to be a judgment. But then those who have accepted Jesus Christ, those who are walking with him, those who have become disciples of Christ are going to be rewarded with this thing called eternal life. And those who, who don't are going to experience the second death that Jesus experienced, because they rejected his death, they will have to endure the second death themselves, and it will be a death. Now listen to this. Um, Jesus comes to destroy sin. The wicked are never to be immortalized. They won't burn forever, otherwise they'll be immortal, never ending. Jesus came to destroy sin. Yeah, not have it eternal. Yeah, wow. That That's so powerful. Look, David, let's finish with prayer. Let's bow our heads together. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you right now. Lord, I want to say thank you 
for what you have done. Lord, thank you for your character. Lord, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for coming, for sending Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for giving us the word of God. Lord, thank you for being the God who wants to restore this world. Thank you for being the God who is not going to um, burn people for eternity. Lord, I just pray if there's any person who hasn't accepted you today, I just want to pray for that particular individual. Lord, right now, I just pray that uh, if they just raise their hand, I just pray uh, that indeed your spirit might descend upon them, that you might fill them, you might touch them. They might be conscious that indeed uh, the eternal God uh, is with them right now. Lord, these things we ask. We pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Well, folks, it does look like our time is up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary, Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time, big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Helen Gray spend the entire time looking at the question, where did the teaching of an eternally burning hell actually originate? Where did it come from? Really look forward to being with you then. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God... Richly bless you.